So Dirty Kanza is about a month away. And because of that, we are declaring the next couple of weeks Gravel Month. We're going to have a lot of content on the YouTube channel and the podcast about Gravel. Next couple of PLP talks is going to look specifically at various Gravel events. And we're going to kick Gravel Month off with an interview with Nick Legan. Nick is the technical editor for Adventure Cycling, as well as writing for other websites like Velo News. Recently, he came out with a book called Gravel Cycling, which is uh, the first of its kind that really looks at this cool emergent trend. In this episode of PLP Talks, we're going to discuss the research that went behind the book, where he thinks the gravel trend is on its narrative trajectory, as well as where he thinks gravel cycling is going to go in the future. And before we jump into the interview, this interview, like all the other interviews, is made possible by listeners and viewers like you. I actually wasn't able to secure another sponsor for this month. So if you've enjoyed these interviews, if it's changed your mind or given you things to think about or has helped you kill an hour on your commute, then consider supporting the show financially. I'll have links in the YouTube description below as well as in the podcast show notes. All right, with all that said, if you're interested in gravel, you're going to love this interview. So put on those earbuds, pretend like you're working at your desk and enjoy the show. Today's guest uh, literally wrote one of the first books on gravel cycling. So I'm super stoked to have him on the show and talk about this emerging trend, what he sees, what what inspired him to write the book. So welcome to the show, Nick Legan. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Russ. So uh, Nick recently wrote this book, uh, which you uh, haven't seen. You should definitely check out. But what uh, made you want to write a book on gravel cycling? When was it that you thought, wow, this this subject really deserves its own like specific book? I mean, the reason I wrote the book was it, it, to serve as kind of a love note to, to gravel riding and to bikepacking. Um, I, I found uh, gravel cycling and gravel cyclists wildly inspiring. The, the, the people are just incredible. Uh, and then the places you get to see are phenomenal. So um, I wanted to kind of show some gratitude for the people who have helped me in the gravel scene. Uh, and then hopefully also inspire, you know, people who are gravel curious or bikepacking curious. So, yeah, it was a long process, but I, I couldn't be happier with the result. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of um, like timeline wise when you got a sense it was going to become a thing? Um, honestly, I, I did my first Dirty Kansas. My first gravel race was Dirty Kansas um, 200. I did it in 2011. Um, and that, and that event had already been going on for five or six years, I think at that point, but I was completely blown away. Um, I had been a cyclist since the age of 12 and I just saw something there, um, started doing a few more events and it was like, man, this is, to me, it became just undeniable. Um, and I think for a lot of people who have been to some of these events, um, whether they're competitive or non-competitive, it's really compelling. I mean, the energy is really, really contagious. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, for me, it wasn't a tough, uh, tough thing to decide. Is this a good, a good uh, call or not? Is this a, you know, am I taking a big risk writing a book here? Right. Because I think that for a lot of people, it's it's infectious. Yeah, we're gonna we're doing our first DK this year. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's super, super awesome. Yeah, I'm scared. Um, good. <laughs> but uh, I guess what do you think is different from the atmosphere or the community around an event like? Dirty Kansas that's different from, you know, your traditional like paved road scene? Um, that's a good question. And I don't want to slag off on road cycling. I think that's really easy to do. Um, but I was a road cyclist for a lot of years. I was a pro mechanic for a lot of years and road cycling is really important to me. Um, but it certainly isn't for everyone. It, it, it tends to feel hyper competitive. Um, 
And that isn't for everyone. I mean, it's honestly, it's not for me as a, as a cyclist. I, I enjoy spectating and helping racers, but road racing, while I did it for a lot of years, doesn't have the same draw for me. Um, and what I really like about the gravel scene and bikepacking too, is it's very much, um, it's just, they welcome you with open arms. It's, it's, it, they'll meet you at whatever level you're at. And, um, the, the, the for instance, Dirty Kanza, the finish line, they cheer, cheer just as loudly for the last finisher as they do for the first. And, uh, it's it's all about uh, personal challenges. I mean, you and Laura are taking on a big challenge. The fact that you're scared is, <laughs> and I know you're you're half joking, but that's that's what enables growth. You have to put yourself under stress to to enable um, yourself to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that these events uh, understand that implicitly, and some of them explicitly. They just talk about it. You know, find your limits was Dirty Kansas' motto a couple of years ago. So um, it's you're meeting a whole lot of people who are challenging themselves on whatever level. Um, is theirs right right <clears throat> yeah we um i've spoken to jim a couple times and um in one conversation he kind of uh presented dk as almost like a like a theater or a stage for for someone to enact their own <laughs> kind of hero's journey you know <laughs> absolutely i mean it's very joseph campbell very you know um but but i think he he takes it very seriously i mean jim's yeah. become a really close friend at this point i've done some bike packing with him um, my wife and I were at their, their training camp a couple of weeks ago helping out and, um, they take the, the, the task of presenting a venue for someone to challenge themselves very seriously. Right. Um, and, and they, they almost talk about it with reverence, you know, as, as like an honorable, um, undertaking. So it's, it's really cool. And, you know, we talk on and on about the gravel family, mm-hmm. um, but it very, it is very much a tribe. And that to me is, is phenomenal. Right. Why do you think, um, it seems like uh, out of all the regions in the U.S., like the Midwest has really embraced it. And it hasn't like, I don't think, developed to the same scale in the Pacific Northwest or in the West Coast where there's kind of you know, mountains and stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I'm originally from the Midwest. So disclaimer, I'm from Indiana and I love the Midwest. I've lived in Colorado for, for some time now. But um, I think the reason it really blew up in the Midwest is because that's what they have, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Colorado or in the West coast, the East coast, you have other options that are, um, a real, a real pull for cyclists, you know, um, you know, Moab, right. You're, you're not, although I've heard the gravel riding is great. The, and, and that's, what's cool about gravel is that it's embracing that your rides and your local routes are just as cool as, mm-hmm. as climbing up Mount Evans in Colorado. Right. Um, and I think that people really took that on board and they were like, you know what? No, it is awesome. Bike riding in the Midwest is fantastic. It's different. Um, but I think that's, I think that's why, um, I think it's also why the, the overarching theme to gravel racing is still, it has a very grassroots feel. It's very, I think a lot of people come at it with a lot of humility and, um, and, and again with open arms. So that's, those are, to me, those are really Midwestern qualities. Right. Um, <laughs> And, and it's cool, but it's also neat to see it grow. We need it certainly growing. There's some great events all over the country mm-hmm. at this point. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my Midwestern. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have, have really done well. Um, yeah, I think I remember watching an a interview with, uh, I think it's Jeff, Jeff Fram from All City, the brand manager there. And he was talking about, you know, the, you know, the gravel scene in the Midwest and, how for him it was a huge surprise when he had friends from Colorado or from the West start to come to the Midwest to, to ride bikes. You know, yeah. it's a place that you wouldn't think of, you know, right off the bat as a cycling destination, but but gravel has really put that area on the map. Absolutely. And and 
it's not, I mean, he's in the, the Twin Cities area in Minnesota, um, but they're doing it all over, which is mm-hmm. really, really cool. I mean, the biggest, the biggest gravel event in North America I covered in my book is called Barry Roubaix up mm-hmm. in Michigan. And uh, they, they focus on kind of shorter distances, um, but they have, I think it's 2,500. It's, it's, the numbers are really big, and, and I, Rick Plight will probably correct me um, <laughs> in, maybe in the comments, but um, it gets bigger every year, and, and it's in this little town of Hastings, uh, Michigan, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really become part of the town to the p- point where the routes are permanently marked. They have signage yeah. so that you can come ride those routes year-round, mm-hmm. which is super cool. You know, it's creating um, destinations you know, mm-hmm. for gravel riding. Yeah, I got a chance to, to, to chat with them and the, the city manager at Hastings, and they were talking about how because of that event, it's kind of redefined the identity of the town. You know, they've signed it year-round with the, you know, with the intent of getting people through the town riding, not just on the day of the event, but like all year to, to practice for it, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. Or if they want to take it on in a, in a non-competitive way, which is really cool. Emporia is the same way. I mean, I've, I've been going to Emporia since 2011, and I've seen that town change and, and for the better. I mean, cyclists are, are welcome there in, in a way that's phenomenal. Um, and you see group rides going out, you know, uh, yeah. they're all on gravel bikes because that's, again, that's what they have, you know, or, or like hard <laughs> bikes. Um, it's, it's super, super cool. Right. Right. So I guess, how do you think, um, um, so you did your, the first, D, your first DK in 2011. How do you think that the scene as a whole has changed over time? Uh, it's gotten a lot faster. Uh, you know, as, as people like Ted King, as people like Rebecca Rush, um, start coming in and then even guys like Matt Stevens, who is, is just crushing, um, the level at the front, I mean, the pace at the front is it's, I can't fathom them cause I'm not that fast, <laughs> uh, but, but, but that's cool to see. You know, I have friends who have been winners or top 10 at DK who will never be a winner or, or a top 10 probably again. Um, and, and I'm sure that's taken some adjustment for them. Um, but the thing is, is it's also become, it, it, is, it has still remained really inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I think that's really changed is the equipment. Um, when I did my first DK, I was on a Salsa Via, which is a great bike, but it, it was a, that's, a, that's a touring bike, essentially, a dirt road touring bike. Um, and I was scrounging, you know, I rode like Schwalbe Marathon tires, set them up tubeless, because yeah. that's what people were telling me to ride. And the, the number of tires, for instance, produced s- since 2011 to now that are DK appropriate or, or, or not just DK, but that are gravel appropriate has just flourished. Um, the, you know, I think a lot of people get into these arguments about the tail wagging the dog with the industry and marketing and all this stuff. But at the end, from my perspective, I want a bike that's capable and that's designed for the way I ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and the industry has, has certainly responded. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a response. They weren't the ones leading the charge. It was people in the Midwest um, who were riding these roads, and they were trying to figure out the best way to get it done. Yeah, so, I think it's super cool. Yeah, it's one thing I definitely love about um, you know, this time in bicycles. It's it's such an awesome time to be a bike nerd. <laughs> yeah, I've written about that before. I, I call it the golden age of cycling because yeah. you can build whatever. I mean, if you want to do a Jeff Jones loop bar, Fargo. <laughs> With a dynamo and a roll-off, you can, yeah. you know, um, if you get into a pinion gearbox, if you, whatever the case is, you yeah. can build really weird bikes yeah. <laughs> that, that are perfect for you, though, that, that suit your needs almost, you know, one-to-one. Yeah. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. So, yeah. I mean, I, I nerd out and I ride like DI2 bikes with hydraulic disc brakes and yeah. I get into carbon wheels and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but 
I'm lining up next to a guy in a surly cross check and he's just as likely to beat me as anything right you know? yeah. which is super, <laughs> super neat. You know, I mean, I like that. Yeah. The diversity is of personality and of bikes is really fun. Yeah. So let's touch on bikes uh, really quickly. Uh, you get to test a, a lot of uh, different bikes. Uh, what's your current favorite gravel bike? Ooh. <laughs> um, or does well, it exist say, yet? <laughs> sorry, say that again? Or does it exist yet? No, I think there are certainly some really, really great bikes out there. Um, I think it depends on where you ride. I mean, the, the bike that I would recommend for Dirty Kanza is probably different than the bike I would recommend for, say, Gravel Worlds. Um, and, and we do review some of those for Adventure Cyclists, which is cool. Um, um, I got to say that the, the Salsa Cutthroat is pretty phenomenal, it, especially if you're looking to potentially bike pack as well. Um, I, I have a column I'm going to write for Venture Cyclists coming up about the difference between a gravel bike and a bikepacking bike, because I think the industry sometimes gets a little confused there. Um, in my opinion, a gravel bike is a gravel bike and a bikepacking bike is a bikepacking bike, but you can usually ride gravel really well with a bikepacking bike and not necessarily the, the opposite right. is true. Right. Um, so the, the cutthroat is fantastic because you have, even if you run like a 40 mil tire, you have mega mud clearance. Um, I'm a fan of drop bars, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's become kind of the go-to bike for the guys in Emporia. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of great ones that I've been riding Specialized Diverge lately um, with their Future Shock, and that thing's pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, if you're, you know, if you're coming at it for, as a mountain biker, the bike that will best serve your needs is a little bit different than if you're coming at it as a road cyclist, say. Um, so it's a, it's a tough, it's a fair question, but it's a really tough question to answer. You know, there are some, I mean. Mosaic, my buddy Aaron Barcheck at Mosaic, he built me a custom drop bar 29er, um, but he does these beautiful titanium gravel bikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, depending on your needs, that's that could be the best bike on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cutthroat's an interesting bike. Uh, Laura and I and I Laura and I have a pair, and I I feel like when it when Salsa first introduced it, it was like squarely in the bike packing space. And now, like you said, people have been swapping out the bigger mountain bike tires for for smaller tires for the mud clearance and it's just yeah. like a, a comfortable like all day riding bike uh with it, massive clearance <laughs> with massive clearance i mean the guys at land run which is a, a race in stillwater oklahoma um that is legendary for its mud it has this red clay mud that can just ruin bikes um but a lot of those guys are riding cutthroats too with 40 mils you yeah know, and <laughs> on a bike that has room for 2.4 inch wide tires yeah so that is a, certainly a, a a really interesting bike, but salsa and salsa has been a leader in this category. I don't think that's there's any mm-hmm. doubt. Um, some would argue that they've, they've kind of created these segments. I mean, they mm-hmm. they produced the first uh, production gravel bike, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, and I, I write about that in the book, the Warbird. Um, but there are a lot of people who are doing it. I would say just as well now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they caught up quickly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great options out there. Yeah, it's, it's for me. I, I think it's also interesting to see like what people consider a wide tire and how that's changed. Like I think the Warbird came out and it was spec with like 35, not super yeah. big clearance, but then now like 35 seems kind of small for, for a lot of gravel events. <laughs> I, I, I kind of rarely ride a 35 or smaller. Um, 40 is kind of, in my head, if someone's talking about a gravel bike and it doesn't clear a 40 mil tire, I'm kind of, I don't discount it immediately because it right. might be perfect for, you know, like Belgian Waffle Ride just happened last weekend, mm-hmm. and that's um, a very kind of uh, tarmac-centric. It has dirt sections. Great. Um, so, it, you know, it might, again, be perfect for those situations. But the way I ride a gravel bike, I certainly want clearance for 40s or maybe even more because mm-hmm. I like to hit. I'll ride tarmac. I'll ride dirt roads. I'll ride gravel roads. I ride old mining roads here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. 
And we also hit uh, gravel, I'm sorry, single track connectors, you know, yeah. mount, mild mountain bike trails. Um, it just depends on how you're using your bike. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about, um, you know, 650B starting to trickle in. Cause I feel like, you know, you get the suspension, you know, you can, you know, there's high performance, like low tread tires and there's, you know, knobby yep. ones as well. So. Yeah, the WTV Horizon, the Byway, and then more and more people are are making those, you know, uh, Donnelly, uh, Terravale, Terrain, mm-hmm. on and on. I mean, I think you've reviewed some of those. Um, and that is, what's also cool is that with one bike, you, it can be kind of a transformer, you know, with a lot of have clearance for like a 700 by 42 and then the 27.5 or, as you say, the 650B by like a 2.1. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you can, you can really um, dial it in for you. You can also, even if you have like standover clearance issues, mm-hmm. you can run the, the 650B and get a little bit lower top tube. And mm-hmm. it's, it that's, is, that, like you that's said. Why, that's why I love it as a shorter rider. It's like, you know, sure. it's finally like a, a bike with like, you know, wheel dimensions that, that fit me. So. Yeah. Well, and again, like you said, it, it's a great time to be a bike nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's a bit of like a, a wild west in terms uh, of bike design at the moment. People are like, what's the standard? And like, how, you know, how do we talk about these bikes? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think like the industry seems really comfortable about like road and mountain, but this gravel and bike packing, it's, you know, there's a little bit, a little bit more of a gray area that they're, they're, they're still kind of ra- wrapping their heads around like what's you know, what is the appropriate bike? What are the bikes that people want? Like, what are like the, the demands of the rider? So. Yeah, I think you're right. I also think that, you know, if you're a road rider, it's easier to go into a shop and buy a bike, install your pedals, set your seat high and go for a ride. And you don't necessarily have to change anything. Um, but I don't know too many gravel bikes that I would ride stock and take to an event. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is to me fun, you know, that, that I've changed tires for instance, for almost every race. Um, but part of it is, I think, to your point, that the industry is still figuring it out. Um, but that's okay. You know, it's these growing pains can be fun. Uh, they can lead down some blind alleys for sure. There's some. There are definitely some weird bikes out there. <laughs> um, but but again, like there are people who are going to say that's you know it, that that blind alley, if it didn't continue to grow, to them, them it's the greatest shame in the world. You know, mm-hmm. um, people become real fans of their of their own bikes, which is great. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting to me to see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned the word standard with an S on the end of it, and that you know, standard should be singular, right? right. Not the plural. Um, so it is frustrating. Um, but the thing is, is the people who I think continually uh, berate our industry for having multiple standards, um, I, I feel their pain, as a, especially as a former bike shop mechanic, mm-hmm. um, but it's not going to change anytime soon. We're only right. going to continue to see a proliferation of, of different ways to mount a brake mm-hmm. and put a wheel into a frame so unfortunately we just have to you know get up to yeah. speed <laughs> my my big uh relief has been just the the renewal interest in threaded bottom brackets yeah i mean i'll put that right there you yeah know, like, that's that's a big win <laughs> cool well let's talk a little bit about what's inside your book uh you cover uh domestic and international events what was the research like when you were uh compiling stuff for the book uh, Google Translate was definitely involved at yeah. times. Uh, no, actually, the, the the international events were super cool. Um, I didn't get a chance to attend any of them, um, but people were super excited. And um, some of them, you know, Paul Arrington, for, as, as for instance, the Dirty Reaver, he, he came and did Dirty Kanza mm-hmm. and then started the Dirty Reaver. Um, so it's you the, the, the it's easy to connect the to connect the dots. Right. Um, but the research was great. I mean, I had a blast with it. I mean, I the writing the book took something like a year and a half from mm-hmm. kind of concept to finalized manuscript. 
Um, but I got to interview a lot of people who were kind of heroes of mine. So mm-hmm. um, on the event side, but also just kind of personalities in the space. Um, yeah, it was great. And then I and then I was able to go to a lot of events in the in the in North America, which is really cool. So. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of um, how or if uh, the international gravel events differ from the ones in the states? Or are they pretty similar? Um, well, yeah, they, I mean, they certainly differ uh, in some ways, um, but some of them are very similar. I mean, the, the cover of the book is from an event in Germany, um, uh, Gravel Fondo, mm-hmm. and they have from the from the from discussing with its founder, um, it has a very kind of grinduro, very laid back, very kind of party vibe. Like people hang out around campfires afterwards, and uh, you know, drink amazing German beer. I'm sure, uh, you know, and stuff uh, like uh, Gravel sixty six in the Pyrenees. Um, those guys they encourage you to bring like beer with you for the finish, <laughs> so for like a like a tailgate essentially. You know, they all hang out in a parking lot and drink beer. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they have the, the the theme that runs through all of these events has got to just be fun. Mm-hmm. You know, fun will always be relevant, whether you're competitive or not. Right. Fun is fun. Um, so I think that there's a lot of really cool things going on. I think I do think that Grinduro, which is a North American event, they actually have one in Scotland now, mm-hmm. and I've heard some some uh, rumors of some other ones around the globe. Um, they're playing a format, right? So it's just time segments as opposed to race a hundred miles as fast as you can, right. um, which is, a, which is a cool play on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the vibe is, is pretty consistently just let's go have a good time on bikes. And, and, and I, I think in a lot of them, they're trying to take, uh, you down a road or a path where at some points your bike will be ideal and at <laughs> frequent points it will not be ideal. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the grasshopper series in California with mega elf. Crawford, right. his big thing is he's really coy about bike uh, recommendations because he's like, hey, you you tell me, man, you know, how do you ride? <laughs> and and I think that's fun. You know, that's adventure. Is if everything goes to plan, it's not an adventure. Yeah, it's just a ride. So. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that that underbiking is becoming a thing. That you know, it's okay yeah. to have like not the most like appropriate or like overbuilt bike for the the course. <laughs> yeah, and I, I underbiking, I I think that's cool too. Um, I also think that what's cool is just riding the bike that you already have. You know, I think there are a lot of bikes that just are neglected or not ridden much because we keep, <laughs> we're constantly bombarded with the newest, latest thing. Right. <laughs> and a lot to be said for making do sometimes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, which is maybe a different take on kind of what you said. But Yeah. So of the international events that you cover in the book, which one are you like dying to do first? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a couple. I would love to do the Great Otway uh, Gravel Grinder in, in Australia. I've spent a little bit of time down there, but not in that that area. And that looks phenomenal. Um, but the one that has to top my list is La Resistance mm-hmm. in Annecy. Um, they have um, the riding just looks phenomenal. It's these old, it's, it's roads that were used in World War II, actually, mm-hmm. um, by troops for movement. Um, and they were almost essentially abandoned now. And um, and they've actually created now a three-day event where you do a two-day bike pack, self-guided, and then the third day is you join the uh, kind of more supported ride. Mm-hmm. So that looks phenomenal. Right. Just without it, unbelievable. <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever, you know, you just Googled Lake Honesty or yeah. or Honesty, it's pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, I read about that uh, event in your book. It, it's a, it's a cool like combination of both the gravel event and the the bike packing uh, yeah. element to it. Um, yeah. Do you think this is how gravel events will evolve? I can see it happening. I mean, uh, Rebecca's Private Idaho had a stage race 
last year, and I believe they're moving forward with it. Um, so whether you look at it as a stage race or as a non-competitive, that, that to me is, is the, the crux of the question is, will it be competitive or will it be participatory? Um, and I think there's a place for both. Right. Um, but it's just how, how is each individual event going to try to grow? Um, you know, Dirty Kansas is a good example. I mean, they've, they've kind of reached max capacity or close to it. Um, they had to go to a lottery system to get in. Um, and so for this year, they have the DKXL, which is a self-supported 350-mile version mm-hmm. um, that I'm a little bit freaked out about because <laughs> I'll be doing that with my wife um, and, and 32 other people. Right. Um, and so we'll see where it, where it goes. Um, what, what Jim Cummins and Leland Danes and, and Tim and Christy Moan, the owners of Dirty Kansas, though, are doing it is pretty cool because they're also developing, um, kind of like you mentioned with Hastings, Michigan and Barrier Bay, they're um, not signing the routes, but they're creating a resource so that if you want to just go, into, go on vacation in Emporia, here's some rides to do. Or if you want to go bikepacking and check out the Flint Hills, mm-hmm. here's a way to do it. So I could see that very much happening where you have your event and then around it you have um, ancillary routes or, or things you can do to mm-hmm. take part in a different way. So I think that's smart. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I love our other uh, previous work was around this idea of bicycle tourism, you know, using bikes, you know, to, or bike riding to bring people out from cities to rural areas. And it seems like gravel riding is such the perfect fit where as long as you have like lodging, you know, food, maybe a brewery and like empty roads. (laughs) Yeah, that's the big one. But yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think that's also what adventure cyclist, you know, and that's where where your girlfriend works now. Um, tries to do, you know, is, is encourage bicycle travel and mm-hmm. bicycle travel is, is almost always, uh, whether it's not always, but it's most of the time tourist based, you know, sometimes right. it's just going to work. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that is, that is the way to go. And that's why I think gravel has a really bright future is because, um, it's getting kind of scary on, on roads, mm-hmm. um, with distracted drivers, um, more drivers, uh, this, you know, there were 40, 40 cyclists killed in Boulder County, Colorado last year. That's wow. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of scary. Um, on the other hand, you have mountain biking where you get away from cars entirely, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's skill-based mm-hmm. and it also requires a lot of infrastructure to build and maintain trails. Um, the middle ground, in my opinion, is gravel cycling where it's, there are, there's a little bit of skill involved to mm-hmm. have some confidence on, on a surface that's basically constantly moving under your tires. Right. Um, but you're not going to fall you, off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not going to, you're much less likely to get you know, knocked off your bike by a, by a passing vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would say is that we can, can, we can help keep gravel awesome by waving, by communicating with farmers, not getting in their way. Don't spook their cattle, things like that. We are in rural areas and it's kind of a different set of rules. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of a different set of be cool rules to learn. Um, and that's on us, right? I mean, it's just like hikers disliking mountain bikers. Well, not all mountain bikers are jerks, Mm -hmm. but a few of them are. And we, we need to have that same sort of, um, running, um, dialogue in our head. Like, am I, you know, if I come up on some horses, what's Mm -hmm. the best protocol, announce yourself, slow down. So, um, but yeah, I think it has a really, really bright future because it's it's also just fun. It gets you out to these rural places that are gorgeous, mm-hmm. and it allows you to challenge yourself. Right. Yeah, that is a good point. I remember um, we had interviewed this uh, guy that in out in eastern Oregon that had a hunting lodge, um, mm. and then but when hunting season would end, he'd have to kind of um, you know lay his staff off until the next hunting season. But 
but then he saw cyclists pedaling in his area. So he's like, well, I've got the facility. I just have to change out the beer from like Miller to like IPA. Um, <laughs> you know, so he's converted this, this hunting lodge to hunting, hunting half the year and then like gravel cycling and road cycling uh, the other half. And when we were talking with him, um, he did mention there were like a couple things. Like if you see a cattle grate, you know, close the gate behind you if you cross it. You know, respect private property. But also waving was a big thing. He's yeah. like, you know, a lot of these farmers or ranchers, they don't see many cyclists. And, you know, you're kind of in their area. It may seem it's like an a, adjustment for both parties. Yeah. 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 So, but that's funny. That, that was like his biggest tip. It's like, just wave, wave to them. <laughs> yeah. No, those lodges on the Great Divide mountain bike route are also uh, like that. Like the, the Montana High Country Lodge is exactly the same thing. Um, it's a it's a hunting lodge during hunting season, and they are the most welcoming people to Tour Divide racers and Great Divide touring cyclists. It, and, and it just makes sense, you know. It's really really cool. Yeah. Did you um, uh, so Eben uh, bike uh, bike snob read an article for Outside? I don't know if you caught it, but he uses the frame uh, Golden Age of Cycling. And, just, and he brings up the point. Um, you know, is it really though? You know, yes, we can do all this. You know, we have electric shifting and everything, and gravel cycling's becoming a thing. But is it more of like a like a response to you know predatory nature of cars? <laughs> you know, because traffic has gone so bad, it's like okay, we have to kind of divert where we're going to ride. Yeah, I, I take his point. Um, I, I haven't read it, okay. uh, but based on your synopsis of it, um, I take his point. Um, but personally, and, and this is just my predilection, but I like dirt roads better. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, so so to me, it's it's not like a it's not a, a second best option. To me, it's the best option. Um, but that, that's not a great answer for people who just love road cycling and that's all they want to do. Right. So there's certainly a lot of work to be done. Um, I think that, you know, becoming a member of some nonprofit, or nonprofit organizations who are lobbying for cyclists in Washington um, is, a, is a good way to go. Um, Adventure Cyclist has those people. I have to plug mm-hmm. people who employ right. me. Uh, <laughs> um, they certainly are doing some of that. Um, and, and I also think that technology will continue to help us. I mean, there's, and that takes time, you know, cars become safer over time, but that doesn't mean that it's illegal to drive your car from the 1970s. So, um, and you hope that more and more states start to pass, you know, laws against texting or laws against um, holding your phone in your, in your hand. And the thing is though, let's also be really honest here. It's not just cell phones. Mm-hmm. I mean, distracted driving is distracted driving. Eating a hamburger is distracted driving. And I right. eat while I drive my car, right. you know. So we're all in this together. I do drive a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I don't want to create an us versus them. To me, this is how do all these people get along in this space? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. I think people get really fired up um, because bad things are happening to their friends. I understand that. But yeah. um, I'm not sure that us versus them is is the best way to frame the discussion because it people tend to shut down when right. you, when you set them up as your, your adversary. You right. Know? For sure. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, where do you, in, in terms of, um, I guess, the narrative arc of this, of, of gravel cycling, do you see it still on the rise at its peak? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't think it's peaked yet. Personally, I think we're still, and I say that based on conversations I have within the industry and, and around my book. Um, there are a lot of people who are, kind of just hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think you and I are probably big consumers of cycling media. Right. You know, <laughs> we're like, well, this is old news, right? Yeah. <laughs> there are people who don't spend all day online checking out bike stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they're probably busy living their lives and working their jobs and riding their bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the message is still spreading without a doubt. Uh, I don't think it's peaked. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but I also think that it probably has a longer uh, lifespan than say, I mean, not to bag on, but like aero road bikes. Mm-hmm. The number of people who would be interested in a gravel bike is, I think, far greater than the number of people who are interested in a time trial bike or an aero road bike. Right. Uh, or uh, a mountain bike with 160 millimeters of travel. Right. So I do think it's, it's, um, it's very democratic in a way. You know, there are a lot of people who... who it's could, a people's bike. <laughs> it is. I don't want to call the Volk, you know, Rod. What yeah. is that called? Rod Sport is German for cycling. But anyway, I think Rod is... Yeah, Volk's Rod. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it is. It is it is kind of a people's bike, you know. And because they make great commuters, you can... I mean, I've raced cyclocross on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just have a set of wheels that have more of a road tire and, and I ride road on it. Um, my poor road bike barely gets ridden anymore. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I also think though that for, for a subset of people who get into riding dirt and gravel roads, um, bike packing will also be, uh, I talk about gravel cycling as a gateway drug to bike packing mm-hmm. and uh, there's no way it's going to be a hundred percent conversion, mm-hmm. but, um, it becomes something they're like, oh, well, what about what about that? So, um, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's peaked yet? No. <laughs> I mean, judging from um, the comments in our YouTube and the questions I constantly get, it's uh, there's still like a long discovery process. Right. You know, I, I did uh, like a ranty video about like you know gravel bikes and stuff. And people are like, you know, I just discovered this kind of bike and, you know, my bike shop told me it was dumb, but after hearing your rant, you know, it's kind of the bike I want. Um, you know, uh, what I hear a lot from the comments is like, there, there's some, you know, from, from kind of snobbish, uh, bike shop people, they're like, oh, gravel bikes are dumb. You, know, you can ride any bike on a, on a gravel road, which is true, is but true. like, but stripping the word gravel away from the bike at its essence, you get like a practical drop bar bike. You know, but people, people see that name and they just, you know, some people get put off or like, I don't ride gravel enough to, to get to justify this bike, but strip it from that name and like all the, the pretext of, of, uh, adventure or whatever. It's, it's like the road bike for everybody. <laughs> oh, bike. Yeah. 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 No, I agree wholeheartedly. There, there are all sorts of analogies to be made here with cars and things like that too, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I think that, um, we're an industry that loves to hate itself. Right. You know, we, there's, there's a lot of uh, strange psychology that, that goes on there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what I like about it is, is because it is a bike for, for a lot of people is that it's just really inclusive. So even if you have a competitive slant, um, that, that's fine. Um, but to me, gravel cycling and the experience is more than anything. Uh, I think it's easier to get mired in tech talk. Right. Uh, sure. But more than more and I would argue more importantly, the experiences I've had on gravel bikes have been almost entirely positive and uplifting and mm-hmm. about sharing experience. I got to meet some amazing people at that Dirty Kansas training camp mm-hmm. and they were all so supportive of one another. You know, it was like Jay Peterberry and Yuri Hallswald and Dan right. Hughes and, and Dan, I'm, I mentioned you, buddy, four time DK winner. Um, he gives me a lot of grief because yeah. I forgot to mention my book. But, um, 
but it was just as uh, as amazing were the people who are, are had never there was a guy at the camp who had never ridden gravel until the day before the camp oh rad yeah how cool is that you yeah. know yeah um and he gets to learn then from these people who have a lot of um experience in that world so yeah it's to me it's just it's such a good time and and uh, i don't it certainly hasn't peaked for me yeah. you know yeah. so for sure do you think there's any danger in um as the events get more competitive from it taking away from the sense of a family or grassroots um feeling i could absolutely see that happening at certain events um and i'm not i'm not blaming anyone for that but but a lot of the the culture of gravel cycling um is top down right mm -hmm. so the promoters can create an atmosphere of of fun and and that's relaxed and that's inclusive or they can start to cater to the top 10% finishers, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and look, it's, it's, we're talking about events that I don't own. So <laughs> I but it, you can run your event however you want. Right. Um, I could see some events going that way. Um, but th they're doing that potentially, there might be a reason. And the reason might be they're trying to draw in road cyclists, you know, mm -hmm. they're trying to create more gravel cyclists. So that might be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, on the whole though, I think that, um, Certainly in the Midwest and those events and the people I see riding those events, if they start to feel that, if they start to feel, even as, I mean, I don't think that, that numbers, um, you know, there's no threshold. It's like, oh, you're over, you're over a thousand people. You're not grassroots right. anymore. <laughs> there are no rules. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, so as long as the vibe is there, I think right. people will continue to go back, even if it becomes more expensive, the race. Um, I think that in the Midwest, at least they won't tolerate it in a way. You know, um, they, or I should say, they just won't go. They mm -hmm. might not voice their opinion, but they just won't show up. They won't sign up. Right. Um, so I don't think it's a big, a big problem. Um, I think it's, it's just that kind of just be cool, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, I, some of the best days I had, I had a, a DK where I broke my rear derailleur off and, and limped like a single speed, you know, <laughs> and I was having a lot of problems getting it to work well. Yeah. And I was, I was basically at the back of the group. I mean, I, I barely made the first time cut off cause I had so much trouble with my bike. Right. Um, but the people back there, it was amazing because I would pass these people and then I'd have to stop and fix something and then they'd pass me back and I'd pass them. And it was this really cool yo-yo. Um, and I'd be cheering for them and they'd be cheering for me. Mm -hmm. And they were just stoked to be there, man. I mean, I right. saw a guy <laughs> on, a, on a Fargo with a rear rack and a pannier full of food and clothes, you know. Hey, and, and, and that's certainly one way to do it. I'm not saying that to make fun of them. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, it was that much more inspiring. So... Mm -hmm. Those people are still very, very welcome, mm -hmm. you know, at every event that I've, I've attended. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where, you know, it's kind of more interesting. Like I feel like, you know, top 10%, you know, there's no question of whether they're going to finish. It's, you know, it's how fast they get to the finish, but right. like at, you know, mid pack to the end, you know, there's a real chance for failure and that's where you see Absolutely. growth and drama, <laughs> you know, yeah, and meltdowns. Yeah. And, and <laughs> incredible overcoming yeah um so i agree i think it's really really cool and 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 uh, there are a lot of people at the front race who have said exactly what you just said mm -hmm. you know like to me it's about beating these other guys it's not conquering the course right um or even their own demons maybe mm -hmm. um and so that's what i mean by uh, it's a challenge and it the challenge is at different levels or it means different things to different people mm -hmm. so uh, that really resonates with a lot of people it certainly right. does with me cool well how has the Someone asked on Instagram, how has the book been received? And if there's anything you would change 
like have, well, have other than Dan Hughes, everyone <laughs> did. You just put um, Dan, Dan Hughes on the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, I mean, he has a point. He did win. He's he's finished like ten of them, and he won four of them. And Yuri, I I talked to Yuri about nutrition because he works at Goo, mm -hmm. um, and he's a past winner. And honestly, Dan, I just had Yuri's email. I didn't have, <laughs> um, and we journalists and writers are lazy. I think. Um, but no, you know, I, I, it's been received really well, um, thankfully. Um, I couldn't be happier with the response. I mean, I would love to sell more. You always want to sell more. Um, I, I didn't do it to, you know, buy, <laughs> finance a house. You know, I right. did it because I care about gravel cycling. Um, mm -hmm. And that maybe sounds corny, but it, but it's true. I, I just really, really love the scene. Mm -hmm. And anything I can do to make it easier to get into, I want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in terms of what I would change, I, I don't, there isn't a lot, actually. I think I, I stand by a, everything I, I wrote in there as mm -hmm. a, in terms of advice. And, and I think what, I was also able to share a lot of great advice from people like Leo Wilcox, mm -hmm. Eric Parsons, John Stamstead, Joe Miser, uh, people like that. So um, I think we had the, the creme de la creme in terms of the gravel and bikepacking world contributing, mm -hmm. which was incredible. I mean, their generosity was um, uh, really bowled me over. Um, you know, I think the big question is if, if we sell enough of them, is, you know, do we do a second volume um, and talk about some new events or things like that? And then obviously technology is always moving on. So, you know, the way we talk about how, you know, I have a, a section in there on building your dream gravel or bikepacking bike. So that that could be potentially updated, but, but no, I think, I think as it sits, it's, it's a really, really good piece that'll have some good shelf life. Mm -hmm. And I think beyond that, it's, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. um, personally. And I say that, um, while fully admitting that I didn't take a single picture, <laughs> do a single illustration in the book. That's probably why it's beautiful. I'm a words guy, yeah. <laughs> um, but we worked really hard with some amazing photographers to, to get the book where it is. And I, and I think it's just, um, it's beautiful. It's, I don't think it's the kind of book that you typically just sit down and read cover to cover. Mm -hmm. I think it's the sort of book you kind of, you graze through it and mm -hmm. something catches your attention and you dive into that section. And, and we hope that you can access it from a lot of different um, kind of physical locations in the book or a lot of kind of personal experience um, positions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm really happy with it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful book. The, the photography is awesome. Um, it, you know, it definitely sets up like a bucket list of, of events and, and things to do for, for potential writers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've totally, uh, enjoy it, enjoyed it. I really recommend it to folks, uh, for people that want to get the book, where's the best place to, to purchase it? Um, well, I, I, I'm happy to sell you one on my blog, rambler.com. That's R-A-M-B-L-E-U-R.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can also get it through the VeloPress um, website, um, Amazon sells it, um, and then shops that are in the know sell it. There's a lot of um, good gravel shops like Dan Hughes, his Sunflower Shop in Lawrence, Kansas is a stocking bike shop, um, mm -hmm. Gravel City in um, Emporia, um, all over. So there are lots of ways to get it. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nick, for being on the show. And again, if you guys are interested in the book, I will put like um, if you guys are interested in the book, I will put links in the YouTube description below or in the show notes if you're listening to this via podcast. And thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Russ. Have a good one. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of PLP Talks. Again, if you enjoy this show and want to support it, check out the links in the description or in the podcast show notes. So thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep the supple side down.